question for you. Yeah. What is the importance of Nicaragua? Tell us, are you ready to go to Nicaragua? I don't mean physically. Are you ready to talk about Nicaragua right now? Yeah. Because I think so, so Nicaragua uh, is exactly right in its rhetoric, and it, it shouldn't be a controversial thing to say that. But the reason why this is so important is that there have been a bunch of headlines that have been talking about this. And it's like, oh, the United States is one of the three sort of four countries not in the Paris Accords. And that statement by itself sounds very damning. It, it has a negative connotation, especially if you are the sort of person who likes the Paris Accord, which is evidently by the number of people who are in it, the vast majority of mankind. Um, so if you are someone who supports the Paris Accord and you read that, you're going to think that Syria and Nicaragua and the Holy See are just as bad as the United States for not being in the Accords, when you'd be wrong. With Syria, as we've mentioned before, it's because Syria was in a civil war and did not have time. It had more important things to do in that moment than sign the Paris Accords. But in Nicaragua's case, it's because they had a principled opposition to the weakness of the Accords. And it's important that we note that the, Par that the Paris Accord has strength in it being entirely voluntary and its ability to appeal to an overwhelming majority of mankind. But it also has a weakness in the fact that there are no punishments and the fact that it's entirely voluntary. These are weaknesses. And that's part of the reason why the Paris Accord should not be seen as an end goal, but as a starting point. Thank you. Because that it's a great segue for something I wanted to talk about, which goes back to the goal of this podcast, and I'm not talking about the particular episode, but the concept of the podcast in general, and is about Latinx people and what you mentioned about the opposition of Nicaragua reminds me of a piece, well, actually two pieces that I wrote several years apart uh, on the polling on climate change. And one of the interesting aspects of the polling that I mentioned before that Americans, even those who think that climate change is happening, don't think that it's going to affect them, that the outlier in American public opinion are Latinos. The Latinos are the, the, the one of the demographic groups that are more likely to believe that you know, the threat of climate change is real and also more likely to say that it is a personal issue that's going to affect them personally. And so in a couple of these, in these couple of pieces, I lay the argument that it has to do with uh, our transnational relationships. I mentioned that I learned about this. Uh, I didn't hear news during my vacation, but I couldn't avoid the climate uh, uh, retreat, uh, for lack of a better word, because it was all over the place in the news. Even the entertainment uh, radio stations that only played like top 40 music were talking about it. And I listened to a lot of Mexican radio, 
in my household. And there's ads all the time sponsored by the government talking about that you know stuff is coming down, it's going to be bad, we don't know, we can't predict how bad it's going to be, but we got to be prepared. Um, here in Washington, D.C., if you go to the Inter-American Development Bank and all these like primarily Latin American international organizations, there's a lot of information about climate change. So it doesn't surprise me that Nicaragua is Nicaragua's reasoning for not joining the agreement it's because it does too little because it is an issue that's taken seriously in Latin America and and it's taken seriously by Latinx people in the United States, whether it's because they they know family are gonna be affected or because they uh they're very informed about it and it's it's a it's a really interesting outlier in terms of American public opinion. I'm not I'm not surprised either that Latinx individuals are the individuals who are politically and just pol- are politically different from the vast majority of the population on this topic, especially because I lived, as you know, I lived in Central America growing up, and I lived in South America and Colombia for a couple of years as well. These are countries that are dramatically affected by climate change. I lived in Honduras when Honduras was having a drought that people theorized was largely because of a superpower of an unusually powerful El Nino. And these things are absolutely devastating for families in Central America. And they know Central America, for us as atheists, is filled with people who have very different beliefs than we do. But we all live in the same world. We all experience the same events. Our interpretations of it might be different. They often are. But we see the same things going on. And we understand that to deny climate change and to deny, to deny it is stupid. But even, even if you think that it's a thing that just happens and that we can't affect we can affect our ability to survive climate change. And green energy is one of the ways that we can do that. It's not the only thing that we can do, but it is something that we should be focusing on. And that's part of the reason why the Paris Accord matters so much. I have a question for you. I, one of the pieces that you also shared uh, with me to prepare for this show was about Hawaii. So why Hawaii, not to be like rhyming redundancies, uh, it's important in this particular set of events? Yes, that's actually something that I should have started off talking about from the beginning. Um, okay, so one of the responses and a very popular response, including in North Carolina, to Trump's decision to remove us from the Paris Accords, or to do what he can, because it's not quite that simple. But one of the responses was that different individuals, different governors, different politicians, were going to come up with laws, and were going to make personal promises 
which is considerably less binding than a law, but they were going to commit themselves and their states and their cities to upholding the Paris Accord. And that is probably the best response that the United States can come up with on an individual level. I read a very interesting Facebook post about this. this it wasn't particularly well-researched, but the logic behind it was sound. And it was talking about how as bad as things are with the Paris Accord and the United States leaving, it's good to see the United States on an individual level, on state levels and on city levels, deciding to uphold it themselves. The person was talking about how our government should be decentralized. I disagreed with the person, but I understood the basic logic behind it. But the reasoning that Hawaii used to justify this law was, and I quote from the article, Hawaii is seeing the impacts firsthand. Tides are getting higher, biodiversity is shrinking, coral is bleaching, coastlines are eroding, and weather is becoming extreme. And that is, those are the words of people who not only study the environment, but can physically see the direct impact of climate change. And that gets me to an older point that I made before it. I think in several of these shows, again, probably sounding like an old record now, but I also mentioned it earlier today. And it's, you know, the, the aspect of partisan polarization. You know, Hawaii is a strongly democratic state. Uh, I think it has elected Republicans every once in a while, but certainly not a bastion of conservatism, at least its political elites. And it goes back to the the resistance to this, uh, or to use the South Park term, the resistance of this, particularly on on climate change, reinforces the people who are part of the resistance in the United States, kind of reinforces to Trump's base these globalist, uh, versus, you know, America first kind of narrative because the places in the United States that are now most affected by climate change are islands like Hawaii Puerto Rico. or coastal areas. And so you have the great narrative of, you know, basically Republicans talking about these coastal elites trying to impose things on real Americans. And, and so it basically continues the loop of polarization uh, to the extent that, you know, even climate change, an issue that should concern us not just as Americans but as humans, it just becomes another uh, bickering issue, mostly because there is a political party that for several reasons, including that it's deluded itself that in America bears no responsibility as the only force of good in the planet uh, for anything, and that, of course, is on the pockets of the oil industry and, and the fossil industry, uh, has decided that you know, short-term corporate gains are more important than long-term human survival. I I wanted I want to ask you something, but before I ask you this, I'm going to tell you how I would react to this if I were in this situation. 
So I'm going to pretend that I'm a Republican senator or a, or a Republican pundit, and I'm going to try to spin this as a victory for the United States. I'm going to pretend that I have the horrific, nightmarish job that would be being a Trump talking head. I, I would spin this, and the re I have a real reason for talking about this, because I know that this is something Trump is going to try to do, but I would spin this as being a victory for state rights. And the reason that I would do that is I would say that this is giving power back to the people to make the decision to be in this themselves. Of course, I would be lying because this was already a voluntary agreement, but lots of people don't know that about the Paris Accords. So I am kind of curious. If you had that, if you had that awful job, how would you try to spin this as a win for either the president or for just the Republican Party? I would just tweet that I won. Uh, and that will settle it. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it works. <laughs> exactly. Uh, you know, but but your your spin. And again, like you know, it, it depends on who are you trying to convince. If if it's convincing the people who already is convinced, then which is what mostly it's happening, then it it it's a moot point. Right, they're just defending the indefensible. Uh, but to some other extent, it's well, it's not really uh, in the Republican narrative. It, it, this is not a matter of state rights first, because well, it's it's a liberal thing, and so liberals don't get to have state rights. <laughs> and second, well. Climate legislation, it's not limited to the piece of sky that the state has. So it's, it's a matter of international concerns and international treaties, ergo it's national policy anyway, by definition. I think, I think that that put a lot more thought into it than I did. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, like, I'm trying to think, how how would I defend this? Because honestly, I think that's what I would try to do. I would try to spin it as not necessarily the coastal elites thing. And the reason why the reason why I think that this is important is that I think that Democrats are going to have to respond to to the spins that have been being put on this issue. Things like, oh, this deal hurts Americans. It doesn't. Like, all, all the silly talking points that Trump has attached to this deal. And at some point, if Democrats are going to win elections against people who defend this action, I actually don't know of anyone who defended this action. All the Republicans that I can think of on some level were neutral at best to this, but I'm sure that there are Republicans somewhere outside of the White House who had to defend this. Have you heard of anyone who's tried to defend leaving the Paris Accord? I, I, I haven't. But also, I'm just catching up with you, so I may have missed it. So, do you have any final thoughts on this topic? America first, yeah. Uh, other than, you know, this is gonna. This is another aspect of, or, or another event in a chain of events in which 
we are doing more to alienate our friends than accomplishing anything. And and that's one of the very, you know, of all the awful things that the Trump administration has done in just, I can't believe, five months. The fact that we are dealing with with you know these uncertainty of what policies are we taking and that the rest of the world is trying to figure out, even our friends are trying to figure out what the hell is going on in Washington. I, I think it's it is the, one of the biggest stories of, of the whole mess of stories that has been happening. But also at the same time, this is a this is an event that uh, this is an act that basically pissing off the planet. Uh, um, a lot for nothing because at the end of the day, you know, you couldn't you didn't have to make that big stink. You just you just don't do anything that it you know was part of the agreement, and then like there's no consequences for it. And it is as weak as the League of Nations in the 1930s. So a lot of what you just said is going to is going to factor into my final talking point that I wanted to bring up at the very end of this. Anyone who listened to the entire episode, I mentioned earlier that North Korea is in the Paris Accord. That is a strange statement for me to make, but one of the reasons that I made it and the primary reason, is that earlier this week, and I can't believe this is a thing I'm about to say, 2017 is a really weird year, North Korea bashed the United States, not really the United States, it bashed President Trump over his decision to leave the Paris Accord. And that is just, that's not the strangest thing I've heard this year in terms of news, but it's definitely up there. I, I can't imagine, if you had told me at this time last year that President Trump was a thing, I probably would have been able to accept that on some level. I probably would have been able to think, yeah, okay, that, that's a thing that could happen. I definitely wouldn't have imagined North Korea actually having a valid point in its criticisms of the United States. And that's not fair because I'm sure at other points they have been sort of correct in their statements. But they they blasted us. And I put an article, and it's going to be on the episode description as well, of North Korea statements. But it's just so fucking weird to me that this is the age that we live in. Well, the, what, the, the statement was about... The statement, was just, the, the statement was just being mean to the United States for our very dumb decision. And it said at various points that this decision affects the entire planet and that it was dumb. I thought they just were jealous that we were going to destroy the planet before they did. I mean, I think, that, I think that they want to rule the planet. I don't think that they want, I don't think that they're like misanthropic and want to wipe out mankind. Uh, potato, potato. All right. Well, um, obviously, we are going to be very interested in any comments and any opinions that people have on the Paris Accord. 
including if you guys disagree with anything that we've said, if you guys have any things that you want us to talk about in a later episode, or if you just have any facts that you want us to be aware of, this is an ongoing story. And as I've mentioned, leaving the Paris Accord is not quite as simple as President Trump just saying that he's no longer in it. I also think that he had a greater point. I, I, have, I have a conspiracy theory in my head that I'm going to talk about at a later time once I have the ability and knowledge to expand on it more intelligently. But I personally think that rather than Trump leaving the Paris Accord, I think he just wanted to make a big stink about how he wasn't going to do it so that way it looked like to his base that he was punching the global elites in the face. Okay, are you going to talk to that conspiracy when we have Alex Jones on the show, or you're just I'm going to talk about it at a later time when I have more examples of it, because it's an episode idea that I have, and this is just one of the things that he's done. It's not the only thing. I also want to talk about NATO during another episode, because I've written about NATO, and I like NATO, and I think it's an important thing that people understand, but this isn't the episode for that. So to make sure we are not inviting Alex Jones to any episode. I mean, I don't think he would want to be on the show even if he wanted him to. We're both Latino. We're both atheists. I don't know. We don't, we don't strike me as Alex Jones people. It'd I don't be a think funny Alex episode, Jones though. strikes himself as Alex Jones people. Well, remember, he's apparently an actor. He's apparently just a really... He's not really an actor. He's an entertainer. Ah, that's what it was. Um, so my final words on this is that this isn't the last time we're going to be talking about the Paris Accord. We are going to have to talk about it at a later point. We're going to have to actually dive into the nuances of leaving the Paris Accord. That's really important because that's a thing that can happen, but it's not quite as simple... It's, it's not like in the office where Michael just walks out of his office and yells, I declare bankruptcy. That's not the way it works. So we should talk about it. But that's going to be a different episode. Well, as you guys know, we look forward to reading. We look forward to hearing your comments. We look forward to knowing what you guys think of this topic. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to like it and share it and let your friends know about the Benito Juarez experience. Until then, See you later.